SoFi, the all-in-one super app for banking, borrowing, and investing. Earn industry-leading APY, get great loan rates, and trade stocks. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank N.A., NMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Early bird special, no pun intended. 10 a.m. on the East Coast, Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, just the two of us today for this special edition of Market Call. We'll go right to the rundown, Dan, because there's a lot to look at. NASDAQ screaming. We'll talk about that in a second. NVIDIA earnings recap, obviously an interesting evening for us last night on the set of Fast Money. And some of these consumer stocks, some go left, some go right, some what do you want from me? It's sort of the good fellas. Of market call. How are you, Dan Nathan? I'm doing okay. It is a very special Wednesday morning edition of the market call. Um, you know, it's interesting, guy. You said the Nasdaq screaming here, and it's funny. You know, there was a time um, when nobody was remote on a holiday shortened week. That meant traders on desks and the like there. And so one of the ideas was that okay, you know, you you're kind of operating trading desks, whether you're on the buy side, whether you're on the sell side, with kind of skeleton crew, right? And so mm-hmm. sometimes you, they used to say when whoever's away, the kids will play that sort of thing, and you get some crazy sort of moves on low volatile or low volume sort of days, right? And so oftentimes if you think you know. You know, if you're in a light, nice little bear market or you're in a nice little bull market, you try to push it in that direction into the end of the year, right? A little bit of that. So here we are. We got a, a rip-roaring S&P on the year. We got a rip-roaring NASDAQ on the year. And it feels like they just want to goose them into year end. They want to goose mm-hmm. them into these holiday shortened weeks. We know from here until the end of the year, we got three of them, right? We got this. We got Christmas and we got New Year's a little bit. And so sometimes these end up going the way the market has already been going. Isn't that kind of your, uh, at least your history with these sorts of environments? That's it. There's that old adage, never short a dull market. Um, And, you know, it's there's a truth to that. Markets tend to sort of levitate on days like today. But as we're sitting here now, and obviously there's a lot of runway left in the day, the the early gains that we've seen in the Dow and the S&P, and to the, in the NASDAQ have been sort of cut in half here. So yeah. it's going to be fascinating to see how this all shakes out. And, you know, we're going to talk about what Carter, his charts suggested yesterday. We had a pretty detailed conversation. And it's interesting, if you indulge me for just a second, you know, we, we tried to connect dots. Carter mentioned yesterday how there was still one unfilled gap to the upside. And what I said was, you know, 20 minutes or so into the show, okay, if I'm going to sort of connect all these dots, NVIDIA is going to be tonight. NVIDIA is going to come out. They're going to beat. The stock's going to go higher. That's going to drag the S&P up with it. We will fill that gap, and then we'll have a conversation. So part of that commentary was correct. The commentary that wasn't correct, obviously, was the NVIDIA move. I mean, it's, you know, in the knee-jerk reaction yesterday, the first print I saw, I think, was 505-ish. Then I saw a 474 print. And then it sort of settled in, I don't know, Dan, about 492 yeah. or so, indicated higher today. And now as we're sitting here, obviously lower on the day. So it's amazing how, you know, you think you can have all these things right and the market will always throw you this curveball. But with that said, 
you know, that gap to the upside, Dan, has been filled. Yeah, but let's talk about NVIDIA here, I guess. Um, so, you know, let's pull up the, the one-year chart or the year-to-date. They look, obviously, a, a little bit of the same. I think yesterday during market call, we said it's going to take a significant beat and raise above. And we talked about this on Fast Money. We had an analyst on, and, and, and you know, it's interesting. There's not a single analyst who rates this stock a sell. The average price target 12 months out is about six. 50 or so guys. So the stock was trading around 500. You can do the math um, on that. But you know, the point was you need a significant beat and raise above what the buy side, the whisper numbers were. So you didn't get that. And the analyst that we had on from Susquehanna was agreeing with that. Right. And then, you know, on the flip side of that is like, what could take the stock down? Right. So it would only take a small miss or guide lower or even just a miss of those expectations, right? Of the whispers to get it going. So when you think about the action in the aftermarket, you and I are always very careful when we're like dissecting an earnings report when a conference call is going on, especially with something as closely watched as this, to make too big of a proclamation mm -hmm. based on what the stock might do the next day. Because the truth is, the large mutual fund companies or large hedge funds that have big positions in these sorts of stocks, they're not trading in the aftermarket in a meaningful way. It's a lot of retail that are moving those things around. Unless it's just a big outlier move, you know what I mean, for the stock or something like that. So the way I see it is the big money came in. And I think our analysis on the desk on yesterday afternoon, Guy, was correct in a way, is that the, the magnitude of the beats are getting smaller and smaller. They're still really big in mm -hmm. dollars of revenue terms, okay? The margins are still looking a bit better than they were a quarter ago, two quarters ago, and the like. So my only point is Wall Street you know, generally makes their estimates going forward, their price targets and the like, and, and then the, the buy side, their expectations of where a stock can go based on a whole host of inputs, you know, based on forward expectations. And if those expectations might start to disappoint as we get into the new year, then who is the incremental buyer of the stock? And I think that's what's going on. And the analyst that we had, I think his name is Chris Rowland from Susquehanna Guy. He said, listen, there's going to be different product cycles, right? And this and that. So maybe this 25% rally in the last month and a half incorporates all of the good news. If this stock was trading at $400, Guy, down from 500 from a quarter ago, and they reported the report and guidance that they just gave last night, the stock would probably be up 7 or 8% in line with the implied move. Does that make sense to you? Which is why I say all the time, and people get upset at me, when I say price is truth, what, what I'm trying to say, maybe I do it uh, not as elegantly as I should, but the only when you get all the data points, for example, you just mentioned the quarter and you, you sort of plowed through all the metrics, when you have all that, the only thing then you can base your decision off of whether or not you're going to buy or sell something is where the stock or the commodity or the instrument is trading at that time. You just made that point exactly correctly. If this stock had been trading $400 into that print, it'd be, we'd be having a much different conversation. We'd be talking about a stock that had just sold off significantly over the last month or so. The market was sort of getting ahead of maybe the expectations were too high. They came in with the exact same quarter. The price action would be different. However, we're talking about a stock that just had made a new all-time high. It's a much different conversation. And the magnitudes of the beats or the, or the guidance, I should say, are seemingly getting smaller and smaller. And one of the points I tried to make last night is, you know, you're talking about a company, and you mentioned this all the time, that's probably trading currently, I don't know, 25 times or so revenue 
forward revenue of let's say it's an $80 billion or so, maybe now mm-hmm. 16, 17 times ish, which is still historically twice what it probably should be in the context of what we've seen before in the same space. Now, their revenue will continue to grow. It's just a question of, you know, how much is the market going to reward them? And I'll say this, you talk about low volume days. Yeah. NVIDIA, as I looked about three minutes ago, it already traded 22 million shares or so. Give me a second here. I'm going to pull it up. That's about half of a day's volume. And we've only gotten to 10. We're only a half hour into the day. So as we're sitting here, the stock has traded 26 million shares, typically trades 47 million shares, which probably means we're going to be north of 100 million shares on the day. If we close here, 479-ish, we will effectively create something called an outside week, although understanding Friday we have a half a day. A lot of technicians out there are going to look at this as a really important point in time. Back to yeah. you. You know, it's interesting. And, and one other thing I'll just mention is the fact that the stock was unchanged on the opening and now it's down 4% on all that volume. You know, the markets trade very different than when you and I, you know, started trading, let's call it 25 years ago or even, you know, 15 years ago, you know, it used to be that you'd have a piece of news like this. And then whether it be if it was traded on the New York Stock Exchange, you would have a specialist. Okay, you would have all this activity that was going on in the pre-market. Right. And they basically, you know, match up buyers and sellers. And if there were more sellers than buyers, the stock would gap down. Okay, now, obviously, if it was on the NASDAQ and, and things were trading electronically, you know, in in the um, pre-market, that sort of thing, you would also get maybe a big gap. But now the way systems trade this stuff is mm-hmm. the pre-market orders if you were a big seller if you're at fidelity or wellington or, or some huge you know you know mutual fund you're basically giving an order to let's say sell a million shares of stock at the vwap the, the you know what i mean like over the course of the day and that's why you get the movement that you had right here uh, rather than a big gap and oftentimes a lot of traders love the opportunity specialists love the opportunity to gap a huge stock down five, six percent or something like that. They'd buy it. They'd let it rally a couple percent. They'd sell out what they bought. Right. And then you'd find, um, you know, that kind of equilibrium price. I just think markets trade very uh, differently. Now, just looking at this chart that we still have up here, guy, I mean, you could say, might that be the mother of all double tops there? In NVIDIA, obviously the SMH, maybe the, the folks could pull that up um, really quickly. SMH, you know, 20% of that is NVIDIA. Then you have Taiwan Semi. Intel got back in the game with that recent rally there. You know, the SMH did break out, guys. So you saw broader participation mm-hmm. in the semi space, okay? And you could draw that line right there if you wanted to. You know, it's consolidating now above those highs from the summer. You could say that's constructive, but really NVIDIA at this point is going to be driving the train for this sector, in my opinion. But that, well, that's exactly right. I mean, it, as NVIDIA goes, this will go. And, you know, if you look at this, we can maybe say potentially, was that a false breakout? You know, Carter talks about this all the time. Look, a lot of day left. I understand. I mean, something could happen today and we'll be having a conversation yeah. next week about how what a great close in NVIDIA. And, and yeah. so I don't discount anything at this point because I've seen this enough. You know, I've seen this movie before. But with that said, where we are right now, the here and now, obviously, there's something going on. And to yep. your point quickly, you know, for folks that don't know what VWAP is, there was something that was created years ago. Basically, if you wanted to be mediocre and you didn't want to look bad in front of your boss, you created something called volume weighted average price, which means if you wanted to buy or sell 5 million shares of Tyco over the course of the day, as long as you were within the 
I don't know, the confines of whatever the average price of the day was, you're fine. So these geniuses came up with this plan, like I'm going to sell or buy X amount of shares over the course of the day, and it's going to be fine. I'm not going to look bad. And, And that's just, if you think about it, you're aiming to be mediocre, which is a metaphor for exactly what's going on. There used to be a time where people sort of put them out on the line and said, you know what? I want to buy 5 million shares of General Electric right here. I don't give a shit what happens the rest of the day. Those days have passed. But that's why you sort of see these sort of days that just yeah. sort of flow. You don't see these big block prints anymore. Anyway, back to you. Yeah, no, no doubt. Unless you have somebody who says, get me out, right? Well, and then that, yeah. So, so those things uh, happen a bit less frequently. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, again, I think the tools that most trading desks have um, in, in their disposal, you know, mostly on the buy side, you know, it used to be that the sell side had that sort of apparatus and they could kind of manage that risk better. Um, but now it's the buy side has better, you know, the hedge funds, the mutual funds, they have better technology probably. Than right. And they the don't have, and the, and the other part of that, and now we're getting off topic, but the other yeah. part of that equation is, you know, they have, they have those machines at their disposal so they yep. can put in an order like that on their on their platform and they don't have to pay the commissions associated with giving it to a Morgan Stanley or a Goldman yep. Sachs. Anyway, but that's yep. neither here nor there. So we'll continue. Let's look at the S&P chart because yesterday we had yep. Carter on. He talked about, and let's go back. We pulled it up, but we should go back and take a look at it. You know, he talked about the unfilled gaps that were left. Well, I think Dan, if I'm not mistaken, the move today is. to 4568, I think that basically exhausted and then created the last gap fill to the upside that we're seeing. Now, if I'm wrong, I'm sure somebody will be at me, but I'm pretty sure what we saw today basically took care of that, which which really then makes the rest of the day even more interesting, I would submit. Yeah, so l- let's go back to the the, the facts that S&P chart a- again. And Guy, you said something, you know, when we started off the short show, never never short a dull market. I mean, you can do the math there, you know, that's, you know, 4,100 to 4,550 or whatever, you know, just I kind of uh, eyeballing that right there. And that is in a straight line. That is a knee-jerk reaction to what's happened with yields. Mm-hmm. S- year went from 5% down to, you know, where it is um, right now in that kind of uh, where we were right now, 442 and a half. Okay. 4425. And so, you know, we get it, um, you know, going back to never shorting a dull market. Well, you know, the NASDAQ has already taken out or gotten back to its prior high here. Um, and so the S&P is probably likely to do the same in the, in the near, near term. But, you know, the other thing I'll just say, if you want to just kind of look at the options market guys. So December 15th, okay. That's a Friday. That's going to be December expiration. Um, ooh, look at that baby right there. Um, you know, there's a couple different ways you can think about this right so we're, we're basically at that that july high and you look at that all-time high up there at 4800 for the s&p you see the downtrend you see the uptrend you see where that 200 day moving average is very lonely down there guy below that that uptrend from the mm-hmm. 2020 lows but that is that is a real that is a real you know i, I mean pattern and, and, and that's something that, you know, for the S&P to break out here, I suspect you probably need a lot of good news. Um, that being said, we have some good news today with crude oil and you, you and I are going to talk about that. But let's go through the S&P looking at December 15th expiration. OK, if I look at the at the money straddle, that is the call premium in the 454 strike. Okay, right here in the spy, it's trading at 454. So the 454 put is basically trading at about five bucks. The 454 
uh, call, let's call it about six bucks. Okay. That is 11. That is the straddle in December 15th expiration. Now you take that $11 in combined premium for the put in the call and you divide it by the strike price, which is 454. Okay. That gets you to about two and a quarter, two and two and a half. Okay. Let's call it about two and a half um, percent. That is the implied movement between now and December 15th in the SPY, the S&P 500, okay? So, guys, does that seem expensive to you or does it seem cheap to you? No, and it seems cheap to me, and I think one of the reasons why is everything we just said. You know, as we get into this period of time, markets typically calm down a little bit. I think people are happy being sure, you know, people will sell volatility thinking that nothing's going to happen, but... You know, they say it's different this time. And you know what? It could very well be different this time. So I would be I would be really concerned if I were short vol in this situation. To answer your yeah. question, given the backdrop of everything that's going on, I think that's abundantly cheap. Yeah. So here's the deal, right? So if I say the implied move using the at the money straddle looking out to December 15th. OK, so that's what, about 20 days or something like that or, or a little more than that. Um if that is two and a half percent, then if you were to buy a put because you were bearish and you wanted to make an outright bearish bet, or you were looking for maybe some cheap protection that gives you kind of some confidence to stick with some of these big winners that you had that are big components of the S&P 500, buying an at-the-money put looking out to December expiration, paying one and a quarter percent seems really cheap, right? Or the flip side of that is like, you think we're going to break out above that downtrend that has been in place since the the January 2022 highs, and you think we're making a just a push into year end to close this year at the highs, okay, making a three-week bet, buying the at-the-money call in the SPY in December 15th expiration, paying about five and a half, six dollars or whatever, and pay, risking one and a quarter percent seems also cheap. So the options market, in my opinion, is giving you a really interesting opportunity to either defend your portfolio for the next few weeks, okay, or lever it up, you know what I mean, to the upside if you're long, right, or put some protection, whatever the hell it is, right? So I just think that's a really important point. I just wanted to kind of highlight that guy. I want to see how the SPY acts over the next few trading days in and around this technical resistance, okay, and I might look to put a put spread on into year end, maybe looking at January expiration, because I think the higher we run, if we do run, and again, you want to be tactical about these sorts of things, I think the harder we might fall in the new year. So that's that, a little OA, a little options action Ooh. guy, if you will, here on the SPY. But I like Carter's technical work here, and I'm thinking about putting something on. So stay tuned, people, because we're going to do a trade probably early next week. How's that guy on the market? Yep, it is. And if you wait again, if you've been waiting for this upside gap, fill, and again, you know, we had postured or postulated that it could happen today on the back of NVIDIA. But again, I want to be clear. You know, I thought that was going to happen with NVIDIA sort of exploding to the upside potentially. Yep. And then you would see the reversal. But quite the opposite has happened. You know, we play this game and, and it's real quick because I want to take a look at Microsoft as well. But if I had told you, if I had said, listen, NVIDIA is going to be down, you know, what, down below 480 and then say, OK, where the S&P? I've been the S&P is down easily 50 handles. Um, and obviously that's not the case. We're actually up 11. So yeah. there you go. Microsoft throw up a chart because it made a new all time high earlier today. Uh, I think the price was 379.79. Still up on the day. Big volume day. 
again, a lot of these potential reversals are in play on this Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Microsoft, we've talked about it. The interview that John Ford did with Satya Nadell was interesting. You know, I still think there's got to be some concern as to why Sam Altman was let go, whatever term you want to use. He doesn't seem to be all that concerned about it. But again, I don't want to make too big a deal out of that as well. But this this story is not over either. Well, it, it kind of is for now, you know, so Sam Altman's going to be back as CEO that that was announced overnight. And, and again, yeah, I think well, if you were, well, no, but, but I guess my point is guy, if you were concerned about that and you voiced that concern kind of right away, I thought that was really interesting. That was your initial take, uh, you know, with Sam within Microsoft leading this new group, right now that he's back at OpenAI with a board uh, uh, that's really beefed up and that's obviously going to be speaking to an audience of two now, which is going to be Sam Altman and Satya Nadella Mm -hmm. for all intents and purposes. You know, Satya, if something came out about personal conduct or this and that whatever, then they're at arm's length from that. And at that point, I think all of those employees that were behind Sam, you know, at least they're intact. At least that mission has been re-energized within OpenAI, right? They still have all the benefits of owning 49% of, you know, that weird ass structure and and a new board. And, you know, and and they're probably going to be able to attract some new talent. So again, you know, whether Sam Altman is the guy going forward from here on out, who knows, um, but he's going to be able to flex in the meantime. And that probably benefits Microsoft guy. I also want to bring up but real glad, quick, but yeah. real quick, you know, the other arms line, I, I would push back a little bit and say, if you listen, which we both did, you know, yeah. Sachi Nadella said that, that basically they would have brought Sam Altman in that night effectively. Yeah. Right. So that that no longer allows them to be at arm's length because if something does come out, I mean, there's there's clearly something happened there. None of us know what it is, but there clearly was some sort of cause for them to act as uh, abruptly as they did to fire the man, having he just was at a conference um, yeah. where he was basically the front person for that organization. So something took place, and then for Sachin Adela to say, "Yeah, we you know we hire him and his team." I mean, they've put themselves in an interesting position, I think, if something were to come out that, that is that is untowards, let's put it that way. Yeah, anyway. I, I listen, I just, again, you know, I, I just think that it, it likely had more to do with the board, how weak the board was, what, 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 what their kind of existence um, was, you know, w- what it meant, right, to the broader AI landscape. And this was originally created as a nonprofit. And, and then all of the efforts that Sam, you know, when he took over as kind of CEO and moved them towards this for-profit entity that was governed by this nonprofit board with a bunch of academics. And it it just seemed something was going to happen sooner or later. And and now this thing is probably, you know, kind of headed in the right direction. So if they were, if if their antennas were up because Sam was looking to raise a bunch of money to start, you know, an AI chip, you know, thing that he could benefit from personally, possibly he did not own any shares of open AI. You know what I mean? Like, so let's just say that they didn't like that. They didn't like the pace in which, you know, the company was moving towards AGI, which is this big thing out there. This is Skynet. This is the thing that people are so worried about, right? So there's this decel movement that wants to slow down the development and be a bit more thoughtful about it. And that's where some of those board members were. And then Sam and his tribe, as they were calling it, were more like they think 
AI is going to be a force for good. They want to continue to move forward. They they feel the competitive forces in it, or you know, all that sort of stuff. So who knows? I, I guess your point is is like if there was some horrible personal thing lurking, whether it be financial, whether it be you know, some sort of just, you know, like he was lying to the board and, mm-hmm. and self-dealing. And and then maybe there was some, you know, kind of gross other stuff going on that was personal. And, you know, who knows? I, and, and again, there was all sorts of things swirling all weekend long. But, you know, again, I, I, I get your point totally. Let's see how Microsoft continues to act. The stock's at an all-time high. It seems like there were no bad outcomes for them over the last few days. Guy, here's one, and we got to get to crude, but I, I want to just talk about Tesla today, which is down 3%. And, and maybe that doesn't seem like a lot, but on a day where NVIDIA is surprisingly down 3% based on where it was trading about an hour and a half ago, okay, um, and where the NASDAQ and the S&P are trading right now, a couple of stories out there about further price cuts. There's another thing about a ruling in Florida um, about what the company knew about the use of autopilot and, and some of the sort of, um, you know, access that's had there or whatever. I just think that's interesting because again, you know, as we get into year end, and I know we're we're kind of putting together a lot of themes in this market call so far. I mean, people are going to have to make some decisions about an NVIDIA, which is now a trillion two stock that's up 230% of the year, about a Tesla, which is a $650 billion market cap company that's up, you know, 80, 90% on the, you know, like like as you think about what are the possible right catalysts for 2024. Or what is the broader market outlook? What is the valuation, you know, kind of versus risk reward and all that sort of set, set up for some of these big, big gainers? I mean, these are the sorts of decisions that investors have to make after such an explosive sort of year. So does Tesla, does it, does it get your antennas up? And the other point is, guy, you know, on days where, you know, crude oil is down four and a half, five percent, it makes buying an EV less interesting. If, you know, and I, and on our, on our Instagram page, our crack team put some, some, data out about gas at the pump and, and the like here or whatever, you know, if, if crude oil were to go back towards those lows in the low 60s and, and for whatever reason, because a weak growth around the world was likely to stay down there, you know, buying an EV is just less compelling. And we're already seeing a bunch of data, how Americans, at least right now, are cooling on the idea of paying for EVs. And now they're trapped in this price war here where the ever declining prices make you less inclined to go out there and buy it, right? Like, because you think that the price is going to come down sometime soon anyway. Rates higher, obviously, it makes these things less attractive. With gasoline lower, there's obviously not as much of a concern, although that's pretty much a secular story. So it does have an impact, but probably not as much. But if we could do a longer term chart of Tesla, I mean, you go back to the all time highs that this stock saw in late 2021. I mean, you can see a very well defined. And if you want to draw the line from that high and that downtrend and then draw the uptrend from early 2023, I mean, you'll see this pennant formation is right there in front of you. And it's just really a question of you know, where does it break? You know, I think I know where it breaks. You know, I think it breaks to the downside. I think you feel that as well. But, you know, with each passing day, the formation of this pennant gets tighter and tighter, and you're going to come to some sort of day of reckoning at some point. So passage of time, you know, with each passing day, that pennant continues to get tighter, which means the ranges should continue to get smaller until something happens, whether it's breaks to the upside or the downside. You make the call, but that's what we're basically setting up for over the next couple of months. Yeah, and, and I guess my view, which is pretty clear to most uh, people who watch us on Market Call or Fast Money or listen on the tape, is that the fundamentals are deteriorating for this company right before our eyes. And for whatever reason, you know, the stock's up 90% because it traded, you know, 
Let's go back to a one-year chart here, guy. I mean, it was pretty astounding what happened this time last year to Tesla, okay? Maybe they can even isolate it a little. That stock fell off. You know, it fell off a cliff. It went from 200 to 100 in like five weeks or something like that. I mean, that was truly astounding. So things got really off sides one way. And look at how this stock is traded. I mean, it doesn't trade particularly well. You made this point on many occasions. You know, the stock down from $400 to 235 or whatever since the NASDAQ highs in late 2021, that's massive underperformance. So I, I think it's finally kind of you know, fundamentals are at least taking hold a little bit. So thank goodness this stock is not back at 300 because it would be totally divorced from fundamental um, reality. All right, guys, let's pull up a VIX chart here. This is not the vapor rub, um, which is, uh, you know, something that's pretty popular this time of year. I know there's a lot of people. Have I'm a sniffles, huge VIX right? vapor rub fan. Love, love it. that kind of clears, you know, you're not like a big medicine guy, but to you, that's something no. that's probably, they were probably using that in like 1860, yeah. 1870. That's you a cure-all. I mean, I yeah. would go to bed with that. You know, I just smather it. it over my chest, yeah. put a little under my yeah. nose. I wake up, feel like a million bucks. So you're, you're not using that mucinex or that Afrin or anything no. like that. Yeah. All right. Let's look at this VIX here for a second because it's melting before our eyes. And it is interesting, guy, as we kind of head into year end, we're getting back, it, it, you know, it's getting back to that kind of, what was it? We're, we're just under 13. So I mm -hmm. guess the low here was maybe, I don't know, 12 ish or something 12 like that. 80 or something rings a bell, but whatever. I mean, here we are. You know, you can see it right there. So 12, 1268, a 915 was the closing low. And we're getting there. Um, so talk to me. SP filled the gap. VIX, you know, is just evaporating. Um, and then we have, you know, crude oil. This is the thing right here, guy, though, that's going to really throw a lot of folks off guard here with Vol, because that's the one thing. If you were so worried about inflationary pressures, watching crude oil come in like this um, is one of those things that maybe is giving you a, a bit more confidence that maybe some of the consumer stuff that we've been talking about, um, maybe you know this is going to be a tailwind a little bit in the near term. Yes, I'm, it's obviously better than higher gas prices. I mean, it, but it's I don't think it creates a tailwind. I don't think personally, you know, I don't think people say, oh, gas is cheaper. Let's go on that trip or let's, yeah. you know, go. It just doesn't necessarily work that way. I mean, I think what we've heard from most of these retailers now is there's a concern about the consumer going forward. So if lower gas prices assuages some of those concerns, that's fine. But I don't think it's going to shift the narrative around in a meaningful way. But to your point, I mean, crude does not trade well, if you want to look at it through that and that alone. But it speaks to, I think part of it today was this cease, whatever they're calling this Hamas-Israel war ceasefire or something. I think that's yeah. part of it interpreted as, you know, bearish. We'll see how long that lasts. Obviously, things are slowing down globally. We'll see, you know, if that continues to sort of take hold. But then you hear from people like Halima Croft, who will still submit that supply-demand imbalances are absolutely there, and the price of crude should be higher. So that's the right now. That's the push me pull you. I think this moving yields is probably bearish for crude as well because I think the moving yields suggest slower growth. But you said it. I mean, there's so many cross currents here to be confused by, and that's been happening to me on pretty much a daily basis now. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, you know, again, you know, we're not your hedge fund manager, your stock broker, your investment advisor, any of this sort of thing. We're showing up every day. We're kind of trying to kind of parse through like the things that we're seeing and, and trying to 
kind of, you know, put some, some things together and, and hopefully that's kind of helpful to you because I, you know, to, to you as the viewer, the listener, that sort of thing, it's kind of, we enjoy talking through it. We enjoy the stuff that happens every day in the markets and figuring it out and trying to figure out from our experience, how, how things, you know, are different, how they're the same. Um, and, and generally I think we can all agree they're generally pretty much the same. It was, we had a great conversation with Liz and Saunders, the head market mm-hmm. strategist from Schwab. It's going to drop in the podcast doors on the tape um, tomorrow. It's going to be a special drop. And, you know, it's interesting guy, because a lot of folks, you know, she actually said, you know, a lot of people say, you know, it's, it, it's, it, you know, th- that whole thing about, you know, it, it's always the same, you know, that, that sort of thing. And um, well, oftentimes it is different, you know what I mean? And it's nuanced and, and, and the way the markets have changed. We spent a few minutes this morning talking about how just the kind of, you know, the way transactions go on right now are different. You know what I mean? A lot of folks. And so there's a lot of, lot of things that, um, that are different. And I think, you know, understanding them and putting them in some sort of historical context is pretty um, useful there. Um, Let's hit this. This was a headline guy that caught my um, eye in the Wall Street Journal this morning. Let's just kind of hit on retail and some of the stuff going on um, this week because we were just talking about the consumer, but American shoppers have plenty of dry powder. Consumers say they aren't upbeat, but they will keep cash registers ringing this holiday season. And, you know, you have a little saying there, which I totally appreciate because I think it's really one of those things where when consumers are polled about how they feel is often different about how they're actually acting, right, as as, fuck, as consumers and the like here. So thoughts on this as we head into Black Friday, which feels like it's been going on for two weeks, if you look at your inbox here, as far as emails and promotions and the like. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know where these headlines come from. I mean, obviously, a lot of this stuff, you know, that clickbait term is clearly there. I I don't know what dry powder. I really don't understand. Well, there's a lot of good data. There's a lot of good data in this. Okay. Like, like again, you know what I mean? And whether they're just creating a narrative for a good, for a good headline is another thing. We'll put this in the show notes because I thought this was interesting. There's some good data in here. No, fair enough. Uh, You know, but again, the reality of the situation is in a higher rate. I mean, yes, rates have come down, but you're starting to see the unemployment rate tick up. That's not going to change anytime soon. I think that's going to accelerate. That's not going to make people particularly confident. Um, Things cost more, despite the fact that the rate of change is slowing. Inflation is still going higher. And, you know, people, I think what I've learned over the years of doing this is you never underestimate the U.S. consumers want to spend. They will spend under just about any circumstance. But, you know, I'll I'll give you the Wall Street Journal article and then I'll and then I'll raise what Target said, what Walmart said, what a swath of retailers have said. And then you throw in. And this is obviously a little bit different, but a John Deere, for example, that's down significantly today. And that speaks to, again, dealer inventories probably going higher because of the lack of probably end demand. So I don't think it speaks to a pretty robust environment for the consumer, but that's just me. Yeah, no, and, and great point on Deer. And this is one where, you know, for every story that we can now highlight that's making a new 52-week high, right, as as the S&P and the NASDAQ seem like they want to go in those direction, there's some probably pretty important companies, this one to industrials and ags, that's telling a slightly different story here. Um, you know, Guy, I also want to just highlight really quickly, um, you know, American Express, um, you know, mm-hmm. we spent some time earlier this year talking about, let's say the Capital Ones and the Discovers and some of the, you know, the ones, uh, the credit companies that serve a a lower end consumer and the things that they were saying, look at this American Express, the way that this has gone from a 52 week low 
just a little bit a month mm-hmm. ago, right? And think about what investors in American Express were saying about higher end consumers when that stock was trading at a 52 week low. And think about how quickly it's come back because, you know, guy, you know this. If you have an American Express, the 10 year yield going from four and a half or five percent to four and a half or four, four, whatever, it's not changing your life in any way, shape, or form. And it's just about how investors are repositioning a little bit. And sometimes I think that's just a really important point to make that what goes on in the stock market sometimes, again, is divorced from the reality of what's going on, let's say, in the economy. Yeah. And if, if just to pull up a long, I don't know how long term, but if you go back to September of last year, you know, we basically traded down to this sort of 135 level in American Express. That was the low we saw. Um, am I, yeah, I guess I'm close. I actually thought we traded lower, but you see sort of these yeah. levels of support we've had a number of times. So I guess it makes sense, but it's bouncing again. I think you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, that bounce coincides with the move we've seen in yield. So if that makes sense to you, then as you say, have at it. I don't think anything though necessarily has changed in terms of what we're seeing and delinquencies are going to start to go higher credit loan loss provisions in banks are going to go higher so that's that doesn't that doesn't stop on a dime that doesn't change overnight all right last thing before we get out of here because these are two days i know that you wait all year long for Mm. black friday and cyber monday i mean guy it, it is not november if you don't have those two days in your life, right? Is that fair enough to say? I mean, and it's Apple after gobble gobble day. You yeah. know what I mean? So yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's safe to say that, you know, this Friday is just another Friday to me. This yeah. I don't know again, now I I should be in now, a good mood. Yeah. Now, I don't I'm understand sorry. why people get so excited. Basically, you can buy the same deal. shit this Friday as you can any other it's all year seems to be a deal. Well, that, that Friday started in July. Yeah. So no, that that is true. Yeah. That 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 is true. The, look, and, and we've talked about that. The promotional activity, you know. So Liz and I had this conversation on Monday's on the tape podcast. Guy is is t- you know basically saying, well, a lot of manufacturers, a lot of retailers, you know, they they basically been able to raise prices in this inflationary environment, in the demand environment that we had post pandemic and and the like here, and they're not likely to lower them until demand drops off meaningfully. And you know, the example that I gave, well. That was Tesla, right? So Tesla saw demand weakening. Um, They were saying something different, but demand was weakening and they've had to lower prices routinely for probably a year, year and a half right Mm -hmm. now. We might see that as far as other sort of, um, you know, as far as retail. And and a car is a very different thing than obviously buying a shirt at Macy's or something like that. Okay, but I I wanted to bring up Amazon. Last thing we're going to do here before we get out of here, okay? Look at the one-year guy. The stock is making right now a new 52-week high. And when you think about this and we talked about Amazon last night on Fast Money. I think it was interesting because David Faber had a great um, report, the Faber report, about how Jeff Bezos, no longer the CEO of this company, is aggressively selling stock to fund his uh, Blue Origin space, you know, and that sort of thing. He is the largest shareholder of uh, Amazon guy. This is a one and a half trillion dollar company, okay? And he owns, you know, nine and a half percent of it. He owns nearly a billion shares, okay? So when he sells, you know, $150 million worth of stock, this is a $150 stock, okay, that he owns a billion shares of. So if you start saying headlines that he sold 2 million shares, 20 million shares, 
it's a freaking rounding error, man. It's mm-hmm. like, it doesn't, it's not changing anything. So like, I think you and I are, we're both in agreement last night as we we're talking about this. And in some ways I would like to think that the management and also some large shareholders would probably like to see in an orderly fashion, him's kind of cycle out of that, right? Like, because you don't need him lording over, right? This company with this, the, 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 you know, the ownership stake. Does that make sense to you? Well, it makes perfect sense. And you know, the point that I was trying to make last night, again, in terms of technicals, the level that we find ourselves here in Amazon is the same level that we topped out at in August of last year ish. Number one, number two, you know, everybody gets excited when insiders buy stock and they follow them in. And my point last night was, listen, he's entitled to do whatever he wants. I said, but you know, if you're one of these people that gets all jazzed up when insiders buy stock, you should take notice when you see something like this. It's not a reason to short Amazon, but you, know, you can't have it both ways. You know, a lot of times I think people want to see, oh, they're, they're buying stock. I want to get in. And then when the same thing happens on the other side, it's not as big a deal. It's just as important on the one side as it is on the other side. And I think that's why we tried yeah. to highlight it last night. All right. So the last point I want to make about Amazon, and I think I I, I started to make this um, on Fast Money last night, Guy. So if we're getting comfortable with Microsoft trading at 30 times and Apple trading at 30 times, right? These are, you know, two companies that are nearing $3 trillion in market cap. Um, why aren't we comfortable with Amazon, which is expected to have adjusted EPS growth of 26% for the mm-hmm. next two years on 12% sales growth for the next few years, improving margins, probably AWS that's bottomed as far as, um, you know, their, their kind of revenue growth, which was, you know, north of 50% a few years ago, got down to, I think, the low teens over the last, you know, few quarters or so. Um, it's trading at 40 times next year, 2024. Um, on a gap basis, those earnings are expected to grow in the mid 30s for the next couple of years. And then on the 25, on the way out year, and we're going to start talking about 25, you know, 2025 earnings estimates as we get, you know, as the calendar turns, right? As you start thinking about it from valuation, trades at about 30 times. So to me, this company, or at least the stock, is down 20% from its all time highs when Jeff Bezos left the company in 2021. I don't know, man. Like, I, I feel like this one on pullbacks feels like. You know, if, if you're buying Microsoft at 30 times, if you're buying Apple at 30 times, why not have a little Amazon exposure at 30 times? 100%. 100%. Amazon's the one that should, that should be a company that's north of $2 trillion in market cap. And I think it's what, like $1.5 trillion right now-ish. And to your yeah. point, I mean, the all-time high in the stock was the summer of 2021. It does not seem to, for whatever reason, garner the same type of enthusiasm that these other stocks do. I will tell you, and I'm not suggesting this will happen, but you know, if they were to spin off AWS, I mean, I think the value that would be unlocked there would take the stock significantly higher. I think there's that hidden gem in there. And I like there are a lot of people out there that think this new CEO might be, I don't, know, I don't want to say prone to, but potentially uh, seduced by the thought of, you know, spinning some stuff out. I think, I think you're right to point out Amazon at these levels. If you love the other ones, almost by definition, you have to like Amazon here. Yeah. And this is the bummer for me. And I'll just leave it at this, you know, as you know, we go into year end, I really was hoping guy that we would get, um, you know, the S and P was down 10% from its highs, uh, you know, five weeks ago. Right. And I think you and I were both hoping that that 4,100 or whatever it was turned into 3,800 or so in, in a, in, in a, you know, in one fell swoop in, in a way, you know, and 
it didn't because I would have gotten a bit more constructive on some of these stories that I really like, but I don't like the sentiment around them. You know what I mean? Like that's one of the things. And I look at like the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, right? And I look at Apple at 11%. I look at Microsoft at 10%. I look at Amazon at five and a half percent. I look at NVIDIA at four and a half percent. I look at Meta. We we spend so little time talking about Meta as it relates to what's going on with their Llama and Llama 2 and their open source, you know, you know, generative AI models and the like here. Um, there's just a lot of good stories. I mean, Google, I, I mean, like when, when that stock gapped down 9% after their earnings, you and I were both scratching our heads. We thought the quarter and the guidance looked okay. And we thought, okay, well, maybe it gets to 110 or something like that. Well, there it is back at 135, 140. You know, so you weren't really given too many shots in these. I like all these stories. Okay. So maybe the QQQ, and I was saying it all during 2022 average into the QQQ. That's the way to get exposure to the best stories in the market. My opinion, I was just hoping that we'd get a shot to do that, you know, some point a bit lower. We didn't. Now I just got to sit on my hands a little bit and wait for something to happen because I just don't think this is a great environment for stocks right now at current valuations and current sentiment levels. So that's, that's well, my two fl- cents. No, I think a flush down to those levels would have done the market a lot of good, but you know, the, the renewed enthusiasm into Thanksgiving and then subsequently yeah. into year end, I think that does not augur particularly well, given the backdrop of everything we're seeing. We're hearing from retailers, we're seeing in the data, we're seeing with the unemployment rate trending higher. You know, again, I'm hard pressed to believe how that's going to be constructive unless you feel that's going to force the Fed's hand. And that's really the only thing you have to watch. I am not one of those people. All right, dude. This was fun. Ten o'clock on a Wednesday. Ten o'clock on a Wednesday. You you got a lot to do. You got a you're hosting a big group uh over there. You're probably one of the guys. You're just doing a lot of the heavy lifting. You're, no, you're you're being sent out to Wegmans probably five times over the next 24 hours. Is that is that what guy that's what I, you I, You know does? what? Honestly, I'm not a Wegmans person. I know people love really? Wegmans. Yeah, I, I, it's not your no, jam. No, do you go to like no. the local IGA? Is that what you do? And you probably know the butcher. You probably yeah, know well, that's the butcher. True. That's yeah. true. I was out this morning actually, but it's you know it's it's a it's a place. And for those people out there that know, it's in Randolph. I was at Barini's this morning. Oh, so you go to the uh, the, the Italian uh, grocery? That's what you do, of course. Yeah. Um, all right, listen, this was fun. Um, we have on the tape dropping tomorrow on Thursday. So you have all week, you know, to all week until Monday when you and I are back with Liz Young on the Monday edition of the on the tape podcast. We also have a special B block that was recorded today of the Monday edition. It's going to be Danny Moses. It's going to be Vinny Daniel. And it's going to be mm-hmm. Porter Collins and more. They're going to do a, what are we doing? So we got, we got a lot of good stuff coming up and, and obviously Liz Ann Saunders is going to be on tomorrow's drop. So that's going to be fun. Folks, have a happy Thanksgiving. You notice all of our sponsors on the backdrop behind me because we obviously are thankful for them. Enjoy your day tomorrow. Remember, there are things to be thankful for, despite the fact that I'm negative all the time. We will see you on Monday. All right. See you later. Have a great one.